This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Since we didn't have a Father's Day video, got a little something here I wanted to share with him. Um, I had the opportunity, you know, we're talking about family, and so I'm like, should I do this? Should I not do this? And we're talking about family, and so it's relevant. So I asked our children to uh, write a note about their dad for Father's Day. And um, actually, let me share this one real fast because Aaron, should do that at the end Aaron well. was going to give it to him um, today. We had lunch, and um, he and Rob collided in the hallway and knocked something over and this broke, morning, and broke an artifact that we had brought back from Africa. So Aaron comes up to me and goes, Mom, can I give Dad the card now? So here's what it says. Happy Father's Day to Mixer Fix-It from Mr. Broke-It. <laughs> I was like, that is so perfect. Um, but a little bit serious note. Um, actually, Lauren gave me permission to share this, and she's our 15-year-old daughter. And so this is my prayer for you guys as you're pursuing family, that there's always hope. And I hope your 15, almost 16-year-old daughter or 50-year-old daughter could say this about you sometime. So they said, let's see if I can do this without crying. Hold back your tears. She told me you need to cry. All right. So when my mom told us, I like that part, to write a letter to you, I was like, okay, this will be easy. Well, little did I know it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. There's so many things that I could say and want to say. So I'm going to try to put it all into a paragraph. First of all, thank you for putting up with me. I know I wasn't the easiest kid, like she's grown, um, in the world, but somehow you did a really good job with me and are still doing a good job. You are always investing so much into me and the rest of the family, and I love that. You have always been there for me through the good and even the rough times. I've always known that I could tell you anything. Last thing is that you are so inspiring. I'm always learning something new from you. I have always looked up to you and know that I want to be like you and mom, like that part, when I grow up. <laughs> I figure um, you've done such a good job with me and Madison and Aaron that if I do it someday, my family will be like ours. Thank you for always pushing me to do new things and making me who I am today. I love you so much and always and will always be your little and daddy's girl. Hey, I love you to the moon and back, and this is not even um, half of what I would say to you, but I think you get the idea. Happy Father's Day, Daddy. You mean the world to me, and I love you. And so, yes, there's a teardrop. That incredible, that incredible movie, he's sucking it back in. Get back in there, tear. But as we're sharing about family, you guys, this is a man of God, and he does hear God, and, um, and he definitely has something to say that I think will impact all of us. So, you ready? Yes. <laughs> so we started last week talking about family, and uh, talking about how it's a difficult topic because we are all from so many different backgrounds. We have so many different ways of perceiving family because of the way we were raised and the things that we were taught. And, um, and so it kind of makes it difficult, you know, in talking about sometimes. We talked about two things we have in common. Number one, you have no choice who your family will be, right? You're stuck with them, right? Yep. Can't choose, can't do a do-over, can't substitute, can't kick them off the island. <laughs> You're done. And secondly, um, <laughs> we tend to think that no one we're related to is as smart as we are. We know it all when it comes to our family, right? So we, we were talking about when it comes to family, 
I kind of tied it into the last sermon series that that my dad did um, called Your Greatest Power. It was all about choices, right? And in, in talking about family, it was so difficult because you can get so wrapped up into this, in, in so many different uh, aspects or facets of family life. Um, but, you know, we, we really, really struggle through this to kind of get to the root of the matter. And the root of the matter is our choices. It's what it all boils down to. And uh, the, the key scripture for that last series was Deuteronomy 30.19. It said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And we gave you three things. It's all about choices, three choices. Number one, um, wherever, wherever you find yourself and your family today, it's a result of choices. And we talked about, of course, things are going to happen that are beyond our control, but we still have the choice how to respond to it. And, I, and somebody, who was it, sent me a, something on Facebook asking what that quote was. Charles Swindoll had said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. And I, I thank you so much. Some, some of y'all responded to that. And, and, and thanks, all, all of you who said that, you know, you were just challenged, encouraged by this message. We get so many texts and emails and, and, and messages on Facebook. But, you know, it, it's true that in the end, there will be nobody else to blame. It's all about us, and it's about the choices that we make. When we stand before God in the end, we're not going to say, I didn't have a, I'm not, not going to be able to say, well, I didn't good, do good in my family because I didn't have a good father. God's going to say, you still had the choice. Second thing we said was choices that lead to life are always found in God's Word. And that's what it said there in Deuteronomy 30, 19. God gave us, the, gave us free will and the ability to make choices. Life choices are death choices. And life choices are found in His Word. And then number three, the last thing we said was no matter how much dysfunction you see in your family, God can breathe new life into it through the choices you make today. And we went through the Bible and we were talking about there is not a good example of a family, of a, of a functional family in the Bible. The very first family, we see it right there in Genesis chapter 3, the breakdown of the first family. And we see murder in the first family. The worst of mankind comes out right there. So we, we, we can't get discouraged that we see dysfunction in our family. We've got to realize it. But the fact of the matter is we've got to realize that God can change things today. And he does that through the choices that we make. He does that through us choosing life. Like it said in Deuteronomy 30, 19, therefore choose life, and it has a comma. Have everybody say comma. Choose life, comma. comma. Therefore, both you and your descendants shall live. It's kind of a conditional thing. As we choose life, both we and our descendants shall live. We talked about life. It's that Hebrew word, hayah. Everybody say hayah. Hayah. It's a Hebrew word that means life. Means to have, to live, to have life, to remain alive, to sustain life, to live prosper, prosperously, to be quickened, to be alive. That's this is what we want for our families, right? It's dependent on us making choices in our life and in our families that are life choices that are found in God's Word. So, going on today with a few minutes remaining. Um, Family is very important. It, it's so important that God calls us His family. He calls us the body of Christ. He calls us His bride, right? And He talks a lot about family in the Bible. He goes as far as to say those in, in ministry should have their family in order, right? Because our family is in order, isn't in order, the rest of our life isn't going to be in order either, right? There's always stress when our family isn't in order. So today we're talking about relationships. So this is whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether... Your child, still living at home, whether you're a grandparent, whatever it may be, we all have to deal with family relationships, right? And like we said last time, nobody can push our buttons like family. <laughs> nobody can irritate us more than family. 
No situation is harder to confront than with family. It's difficult, isn't it? Hardest ministry is family ministry. So the question of the day we want to get to um, is how do we make the best of our dysfunctional families? Because it's very difficult sometimes, isn't it? So we're going to give you three things, three choices that will lead to better or more healthy family relationships. So number one right here is choose to be a peacemaker. Now, when I went to go looking up for like a picture for peacemaker, it showed a gun. <laughs> okay, we're not talking about a gun here. <laughs> All right, we're actually talking about what this scripture says right here in Romans 12. It says, do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. Never take revenge, my friends, but instead let God's anger do it. For the scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay back, says the Lord. Instead, as the scripture says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them a drink. For by doing this, you will make them burn with shame. Do not let evil defeat you. Instead, conquer evil with good. So we're going to look at a couple of things here. How do we be peacemakers within a family environment? And so the first thing that we have to realize is that you cannot change anyone and you cannot expect them to be like you. And um, I don't know if you're like me, but that took me about 20 years or 25 years to figure out. You know, I would be in the workplace or I'd be in the home and I'd be like, well, why don't they do it this way? And why aren't they as productive in me? And what have they been doing with all their time? And, you know, and I would just, you know, and finally, probably through my husband, was like, Shauna, they're not you. It's not going to happen. And so, you know, we have to realize within relationships, within the family dynamics, is that you cannot change anyone. And you cannot, well, you can, but it's only going to mess you up, expect anybody to be like you because it will just cause you stress and problems. And so, um, yeah, Rob actually encouraged me um, with that. He's like, Shauna, you know, you need to start praying and say, help me see this person the way that God sees them. And that totally revolutionized my life when I was like, I didn't understand. And I'm like, what, you know, don't they know? And hadn't they heard the word? And, rah, rah. and I was like, okay, I changed my heart and I changed my mind. It's like, okay, God, help me see them the way that you see them. Help me understand why their behaviors are the way that they are. Which leads us into the next one right here. It says, don't have unrealistic expectations of others. Now, I wanted to share a brief story about this. Um, I don't even remember how many years this ago this was, but for Christmas Eve, when we were in our year to be here, we would always go to Rob's grandparents. You know, we'd go over there at 12 o'clock, and we'd eat, hang out, and then go home. Well, this year, this particular year, I had this great idea, well, I want to do Christmas Eve at my house. And um, so the grandparents, his grandparents agreed with it, Rob's parents, all the aunts and uncles, you know, and so I spent probably weeks, you know, I got out my Christmas dishes, and I decorated the dining room table, and I decorated the kids' table, and the coffee table, and we made gingerbread houses. And let's just say, I put a whole lot of work and effort into this incredible Christmas Eve experience that we were going to have. And so the family gets there, 12 o'clock, right on the dot. We eat, we open presents, they go home, and I look at Rob, and the house is empty, and it's two o'clock. <laughs> and I was like, Rob, where did they go? Because my family, when they do Christmas Eve, you come over, and you stay till 10 or 11 o'clock, and you eat leftovers for dinner, you know? And so I had this unrealistic expectation that I had not communicated to anybody in the family that I wanted. And so they left, and I was so disappointed. I put all this time, and I put all this energy, and do they not care? They're just gone. What do we do with the rest of Christmas Eve, you know? And um, but what was cool is we chose, thanks to my husband, to turn that into a po positive situation. 
situation. That was the year that Wii's were real popular, and um, our kids had received some gift cards, and they had received some money at Christmas Eve, and so they collectively said, well, we want to go get a Wii. So what did we do on Christmas Eve? On after Christmas Eve. Christmas to Eve. The year on it came Wii, out. At 2 o'clock when family left is we found the last Wii in Memphis, Tennessee, <laughs> and we drove out there, and we got it. And at we the, turned at it the, at the target at Colonial. Target, I remember. Park. Like, can you hold it for us? They're like, no. And we're like, okay, we got to get there. We got to get there. We got to get there. But I had, a, I was let down because I had an unrealistic expectation. Anytime we went over to his grandparents, that's what everybody always did. So why would I expect something different than what had ever been done? And so within relationships, you can't have unrealistic expectations, or you cannot expect from others what you expect from yourself. We set ourselves up to be disappointed and others to fail when we don't communicate expectations and when we expect others to be someone that they're not. An example of that that comes to mind to me is you guys know that a year ago, February, that my dad passed away. And um, he had fought cancer for seven years, been in remission, it came back and different stuff. But um, here's the thing. My brother lives about 10 minutes away, and his family lived about 10 minutes away from my dad. And, um, you know, so he has opportunity to visit with them. And my dad... Let's just say he fought till the very end. It was Valentine's Day, the 14th, the 15th. He called me on a Saturday morning, and he's like, Shauna, he's like, I'm not breathing well. I'm going into the hospital. Well, for my dad to call, that's a big deal because he's not a complainer. He's not a there's anything wrong. He's like going to suck it up. And he's just, you know, so I knew, okay, this isn't good. And so Rob was in Kentucky, kids at home. I'm like, I've got to fly to Houston because I just got to be there. And so, you know, I get there, and let's just say from that experience, my dad went to go be with the Lord. He didn't actually ever come back home. But I was there, and my brother was there, you know, and I talked to different friends during the time. And here's what my brother contributed. He came up to the hospital once when my dad was in the you know, still coherent and able to talk. And the day before he passed, I had been up there four days straight, totally exhausted, didn't know, you know, I told my mom, I was like, mom, we're not leaving him here, my dad, by himself without somebody. I've got to get sleep. What are we going to do? And, um, you know, she's like, well, I can call your brother. And I said, well, that's, you know, fine, whatever. And so my brother came up, bed's over there with my dad. Here's a chair. When I came up from my like four hour nap, this is what I saw. My brother. Now, I know a lot of you are probably like, how could he do that? You know, why wasn't he engaged? Why wasn't he at the feet of his father? Because Greg wasn't in a place where he could do that. And that's okay. But, you know, sometimes we expect from other people what we would expect we would do. And you can't do that. It would have been sin for me to expect my brother to go against everything that was in him, whatever he was dealing with, hurt, denial, pain, just not wanting to have that be the last picture in his head. It would have been wrong for me to expect him to do any different. So that's that point <laughs> in my high-pitched voice is relationships go better when you don't put false or unrealistic expectations on other people or expect other people to do what you would do. It's a whole lot better if you don't do that. All right, the next thing here is, a, here we go, a few things that if applied to your life will make family relationships easier. First of all, we have to realize that you don't have to be the winner. There are no winners when it comes to family conflict anyways. Put your pride aside, you don't have to win. 
You want to make what's best for the family, not be the champion. Because that's just all for you anyways. What does it benefit for anybody else? Next thing, don't, ex- don't speak everything that comes into your head. Many of us struggle <laughs> with that. There's something to be said for learning tact, learning and being sensitive, knowing when to speak and when not to. This reminded me a lot of Frank and Marie Marone. Who was it? From, um, Everybody Loves Raymond. Marone. Marone from, from Everybody that, Loves Raymond. Matt, you got that picture? Yeah. Everybody remember Everybody Loves Raymond? Yes. One of my favorite shows ever. And they were the key example of what not to be. They always spoke whatever. They were so helpful. So helpful. All the time. And always spoke exactly what came into their minds in a moment. We've got to learn when to speak and when not to. Isn't that true? Yes. And it usually, some people say, well, that's my gifting. I'm, I'm just straightforward and blunt. It's also your greatest liability. And, and you've, you've got to learn how to temper that especially when it comes to family. Um, Another thing I would say is, in response to family criticism, family criticism is hard. Somebody told me a long time ago, when you face criticism, the first thing to do is find out if there's truth to it. Before taking offense to it, stop and look. Look at your own heart and go, okay, is there any truth to what this person is saying? And that's difficult sometimes because we immediately get defensive. And, you know, there's almost always some truth. When somebody says something to you about you and then goes, oh, I'm just playing, yeah. Just playing. Look up what the Bible says about a jester. No, uh, but there's usually truth there. So instead of immediately taking offense, we need to stop and we need to examine ourselves and our hearts and see uh, see if there's actually truth there. Uh, another thing we'd mentioned was be understanding. Uh, you know, this is, can be a, a difficult one, because, but we've got to remember that perception is reality to people. We can, even if it's wrong. The way somebody feels, even if it's wrong the way they feel, even if it's selfish, it's still the way they feel in that moment. And so we've got to stop and understand for a second and choose how we're going to respond in that moment. And, and, you, and just pray for wisdom and guidance and discernment and know when to, when to back off. Maybe this isn't the best moment for me to spout off what's in my mind right now. Maybe they receive it better a little later on after they've slept on it, right? Um, remember, the silent treatment only hurts yourself. The silent treatment is really manipulation, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. All we're doing is manipulating. It's never done any good to anybody. Some of you might say, well, I get my way when I do it. It's still manipulation. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, you can hit this, the This one. next point here you can pay me for later. But ladies, remember, PMS is not an excuse to be crazy or act ridiculous. You must own your own behaviors. Now, let me tell you, I wrote this one as I was experiencing it this week. We're sitting working on the lesson, and I mean, you know, it was like Thursday, and I'm like, I just felt like I could tear everybody up that walked in front of my face, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? And so, fortunately, I keep on my calendar, and so I go back and count, and I'm like, oh, I'm about to expect something, you know? Now, it doesn't Yes, maybe what you feel is real. Those emotions are real. The hormones. Okay, show this picture. Okay, this. I'm fine. I hate you. I love you. I'm on ice cream. Come here. Get away. Oranges. Okay, that is real. That is real for a lot of us. However, it is not an excuse to be stupid and ridiculous. You have to own your words and your actions. And this is something we're teaching because... We have three of them our in our house now. <laughs> Pray for Rob. And, you know, 
I've had, I had a, a situation back a few weeks ago where Lauren came to me and said, I'm sorry about the way I responded. It's just that time. And I said, I forgive you. However, understand that it's not an excuse to disrespect people and, and, you know, and stuff like that. It may be that you need to walk away. May, you need your time to yourself. I get that. But you've still got to temper that and you've got to, you Don't know, let still, this be your response. Your well, it's just that time of month to live with it. You know, and like just think that that validates your poor choices and bad behavior. Not cool. So which takes us into number two right here is that we have to choose to make the righteous, godly, and sometimes hard decisions. Let me say that one again. Choose to make the righteous, godly, and sometimes hard decisions. And as we're talking about looking at a Bible um, character that experiences, let's look at Joseph, okay? Here we have Joseph. You know, he's the dude with the coat of many colors that uh, his brothers, he was his dad's favorite child. His brothers, you know, didn't like that he was the favorite. So they decided instead of just killing him, they're like, well, we'd make more money if we sold him. So they sell him into slavery. Um, and then he goes and he's working for Potiphar. And um, Potiphar's wife finds him attractive, wants him. You know, he wants to flee because he's a man of integrity. And um, so then she accuses him of rape. And so then he is thrown into prison, right? So, man, yes, man of God, exciting. He's great. Who wants that life, right? Um, So here he is. He's thrown into prison. He's like, yes, there's some hope. These two guys just came from the palace. I interpreted their dreams. And he said, remember me when you're there. And so he's probably thinking, yes, I'm going to get out soon. He's going to tell the king. Okay, doesn't happen for years and years later. Um, And so we would say he went through a lot, right? Say Joseph experienced a lot of things. But what can we see through his life? One is he accepted his reality. There was nothing he could do to get out of that place of being in slavery, to get out of prison. He had to accept his reality. He um, had to work hard. He had to have patience. Um, He always kept his integrity. How many of you know that sometimes it'd be easy in your mind to excuse a poor choice to get you out of an undeserved situation? He didn't do that. He stood for godly principles. He stood for what was right. Um, he was humble. He, you know, he made these choices despite his circumstances. Um, in the end, we see that he ultimately forgave his brothers. I mean, the people that created all that mess for him, he ended up forgiving them, right? There at the end, and they came back. And then we also see how then he also blessed so many people because of where God ended up putting him within position, with that, in talking about making the, the godly and sometimes hard decisions, I, I wanted to mention something I'd added was that, that God is not an enabler. Y'all realize that? God does not enable bad behavior. I looked up what that actually meant in, in Webster's. It said enabler. Enabler is one who enables another to achieve an end, especially one who enables another to persist in self-destructive behavior such as substance abuse by providing excuses or making it possible to avoid the consequences of such behavior. And sometimes our family is full of enablers. And that's very, very difficult sometimes, you know. I don't know how many couples we've talked to, a a husband and wife will come in, and they're in conflict over how they're raising their children. The the dad is upset because the mom doesn't discipline the way that he thinks ought to be disciplined, or or she undermines him by letting him off the grounding early because she feels so sorry for the poor little kids. Or, Or, you know, in continuing, there were children, parents who feel like, well, you know, my, my kids aren't going to think I'm a good parent if I don't spend 300 bucks on them, you know, for Christmas. Let me tell you, first and foremost, 
I mean, we, we've had, I don't know how many parents tell us, you know, well, what do I do with my kid who's doing this and this? Do I just kick him out on the street? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we've got to make the hard decisions. You know the reality of it is, I was talking to somebody one time, the reality is when we're unwilling, when, when, when we are, make ourselves enablers to the bad behavior of our kids, you realize we're making it about ourselves instead of our children? We're afraid that we will look bad. We're afraid that people think that we're a bad parent. We're afraid, oh, my kid won't love me. It, we end up making about ourselves. What about that relative that, that won't get things together and keeps spending money and keeps coming and asking for money over and 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 doesn't take any advice, doesn't do anything, and their family's in shambles? How long do you do that? Do you go broke with your own family? Do you enable them to keep making the same decisions over and over again? Do you say, well, we're blood. Family is family. You don't ever let family... Really? Where does a point come in family where we love somebody so much that sometimes we make the decision to allow them to hit rock bottom? They know that we're there. They know that we love them. They know that we'll walk with them. But they know that we're also going to let them make their bad decisions. And then in making those bad decisions, they have to walk out the consequences of it. I always, whenever people talk to me about that, I always give the example. You know, a mother bird has to kick her baby out of the nest. She has to. If she doesn't do it, that baby's going to become an easy predator if it doesn't learn how to fly. Is it going to, is, is baby hate it? Yeah, probably is screaming, you hate me. Don't kick me. <laughs> you you, you see how far down it is. Yeah. Seriously. If a bird can speak. <laughs> you hate me. I don't know. But seriously. But, and it could be dangerous and it might very well hurt as it hits some branches on the way down. It better flap those darn wings like it mama taught it to, right? It's got to do it. If it ends up staying in the nest, a predator will get up there and get it, and it will die. And so the mother has to make a hard decision. And so that's why I'm saying God is never an enabler. He has made all of us walk out some pretty tough consequences in our life, correct? Yeah. And he's the ultimate example of a father. We can't be enablers. This is where we've got to make righteous, godly decisions sometimes, and it's not going to make us popular in the family. But sometimes we have to do that um, in, in making that hard decision. We always do it in love. Let me say, don't be super spiritual. We can't go. How, what do you think? How, how would you feel if you're married, if every time your spouse disagreed with you, they started quoting scriptures to you? Man, you better get out of my face with that Bible. <laughs> True? Yeah. Guys, we got to be careful that we don't come across. Greg, see some of the teenagers sp- going, or my parents. <laughs> All we do is come across super spiritual. The best way is to live what the word says not quote it at our family. Live it. The Bible becomes a weapon at that point, it, a weapon against our family. It was never meant to be that by any means. Um, also, another thing we were going to mention I was... I want to do this one. Oh. Yeah, this one is one of my pet peeves. So, um, do not... Did you make a face of me? All right, here you go. Talk to the hand. I'm going right. to put it on Facebook. Don't, don't air your problems or your offenses on social Media. Yes, amen. Here's what it really shows. It shows immaturity, it shows insecurity, and it makes you look foolish. And it's the same thing as if you're in public and you turn into that incredible Hulk monster thing. One thing that does is make you look foolish. And people going, my goodness, can they not control themselves? I saw somebody that I've known for years that I highly respect, a couple that's walked with the Lord for years, and I mean, very mature as believers, but I saw for a moment... 
uh, back a couple of months ago, something popped up on Facebook that surprised me. And she put on there, my husband just made this comment about me, and is that really, and who agrees with me? And I thought, and all of a sudden, all these comments popping up, you know you're right, and then it disappeared. And I thought, thank goodness. She <laughs> heard somebody. <laughs> she pulled that off. She, had, she was angry in a moment, probably could be, rightfully so. But, man, we cannot go to social media. And we see that. Anytime you log on Facebook, there's somebody out there. Please, we cannot go on Facebook talking about how our kid messed up today. I had to beat him seven times today. It's like, don't. Not you can say, Facebook. I had a, fab, a challenging time with children. Pray for me. But you're not going to ever defame or attack a person yeah. or their character. Because I don't believe Jesus would do that. He wouldn't be going right there. Well, you just messed up this many times today and put it out there to the whole world to see. He's going to deal with those things in private. Um, we've got a couple pictures here that kind of go with that. Um, <laughs> Father, I have sinned. I already know. <laughs> and uh, one more right here. The vague personal stuff you share on Facebook makes me want to buy you an empty journal and hit you in the face with it. So, you know, there's a time and place. Yes, they're true feelings. They're true emotions. Take it to Jesus. Take it to your best friend. But don't dump it on everybody, all right? Um, All right, which takes us into the next one here is, um, you want me to do this one? All right. Um, Don't compromise. Don't give in to sin manipulation or a guilt trip if a family member tries to take you on. You know, we're talking about family, and so I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Well, but we're family. We're blood. You know, it's okay to do this. It's really not that big of, you know, and you feel pressure to go against the word of God by your own family members. You know what? It's always best to choose God and his word and righteousness, and God will honor that. Your family may not understand it. It may ruffle their feathers. It may upset them a little bit, but it will always pay off to put God first and to do what his word says first in every single situation. The last thing we're going to mention there was be ready for backlash. As you make godly, righteous decisions in love, there will be backlash, you know, from family. Our family, our children, many times will try and make us feel guilty for the decisions we make. But uh, we have to live to serve God, live to please God, not, not our family, and realize that we're in return, we're also modeling that godly behavior as well. And let me give you an example that just came into mind. You know, we are a role model to our friends, to our kids, to grandkids, to anybody that's around us. And, um, you know, how many times have maybe you told a white lie, but your kid saw it? Well, Mama, that's not the truth. Why would you say that? You know, and you think in your mind, well, that's no big deal. <laughs> but, it, but it is. You know, our behaviors, our actions are teaching what is right and what is wrong. And are we going to just take our kids to church? Are we just going to read the word? Are we going to live it out even when it's difficult, even when it's challenging, even when it's hard? We've got to make those hard choices to stand up for righteousness all the time, even when it's hard. And um, right here, um, I wanted to read this scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. It says, you know, we're talking about we have to love. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not envy or boast. It's not arrogance or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And within the family relationship, you have to love because that's the only way you're going to get through it. <laughs> and the only way that you can do that is through understanding the Father's love um, and what that really means unconditionally 
being through the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it's the second choice we have to make to make the righteous, godly, sometimes hard decisions. And I wanted to end this point, uh, put that next slide up, a quote I found from Dr. Seuss. I thought it was great. You have brains in your head, feet in your shoes. You can see yourself in any direction you choose. Once again, it's going back to choices. We have the decision to make the choices. Last thing, number three. It says choose, and this, to me this is the most important three <laughs> out of the three we're talking about. This is the most important one is that we have to make prayer a priority. You know, um, it's very important to pray, but sometimes within family dynamics, prayer is the only thing that is going to work. There is nothing that you can say that is going to change any circumstance. But if you get on your knees before Father God and you intercede and you pray, prayer works. And um, I've got four ways that we need to approach prayer when we um, in pertaining to our family. And the first thing is that we have to realize is that we must pray remembering and knowing that God deeply loves that family member just as much as he loves you. He loves them just as much as he loves you. And so when you're praying, you know, you need to realize that the Father loves them just as much as he loves you. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the statement of, you know, God, help me see them the way that you see them. Help me love them the way that you love them. Help me understand why they are, they are the way they are. And the next thing is that we have to pray with faith. Jesus said, and all things you ask in prayer, believing that you will receive. You know, when you're before Jesus making those petitions, you gotta believe that it's gonna happen. You know, you don't wanna just flippantly, ah, oh, help them, Lord. No, you need to believe. God, I believe that you have the power, that you have the ability, that you can bring about change within their life. And God, I am gonna stand on your word and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna believe if it takes one year, if it takes 10 years, if it takes 30 years, to see this prayer be manifested within their life. And I believe it because your word says it. And I believe it until I see it because it's what your word says. And so you have to approach prayer with your family with faith. You have to believe and you can never give up. You've got to always um, be with them. Which takes me into number three here, which is patience and perseverance. Kind of goes along with what I was saying right there. You know, we, we learn to wait upon him in two ways, over a long period and with deep-seated belief that he will answers our prayers. We have to believe, you know, how many of you have said it? Well, there's just no hope. <laughs> you know what? There probably is no hope in the natural, but God, there's always hope. There's always a way to bring you out of whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whatever despair that you are in or a family member is in. And we got to realize that when we pray that prayer opens heart, hearts, it opens hearts, it throws open um, doors wide open, it brings you to a place that um, you would never have dreamed and it arranges circumstances that you would be impossible to produce yourself. When you learn to wait in his presence, he works in unfathomable ways. And that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 62.5, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. And my last thing when we're hitting prayer for family that I want to encourage you to do is to pray with a humble and a repentant heart. And I don't know if you've ever had a prayer like this before. Actually, have you ever tried to pray for somebody when you're mad at them? It's really hard, isn't it? And so sometimes your prayer might be like this, God, I want them to feel the wrath of you right now. God, let them see how angry you are at the behavior and how they treated me. God, show them, okay? And we need to turn that to something maybe like this. God, I am so hurt. I am so wounded. I am so rejected by the actions of that person. God, I am hurt. I'm angry, I'm bitter, and I want to seek revenge. But here's what your word tells me. God, can you show me, is there anything on the inside of me that needs to be brought to the forefront? 
that I need to get right to help make this situation right. And I wanted to give you an example here. I read a story online of a man that he grew up in a horrible home. And about the age of 20 or 30, he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And for 20 years, he sought after the Lord. He prayed for the salvation of his family, um, of his mom especially. And he said one day after 20 years in prayer, the Lord brought something to his attention. Because he came with that humble heart. He came with that humble attitude. And the Lord said, you know what? You need to go to your mama and repent for how you responded and you acted within this situation. And he's like, but God, you know, it's their fault. And he, he said, you need to go to them, and you need to repent for your part. And so he went, and he, 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 he shared that with his mom. In that moment, she broke. And she came to accept Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And so, you know, we've got to approach our family with that attitude of God, not God zap them, God Zap me and show me what I can do that will help them respond to you and revolutionize their life the way that you have mine. Let me keep going. (laughs) That's the four points right there. And so in conclusion here, we've got to remember that no matter how much dysfunction you see in your family, God can breathe life into it through the choices that you make from this point forward. There is hope. Don't ever give up. We said this last week, Adrian Rogers quoted, he said, the same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still the miracle working business, he is still in the miracle working business of transformation. And so here's what we got to realize. We can't live in our past. We can't live for tomorrow. What we have is today. And are you ready to make those great family choices? Any of you guys challenged this morning? Let's pray. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662 890 1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a